0: Al Jazeera Podcast.
1: Israel declares war on Hamas and orders a total siege of Gaza with no food or electricity after an unprecedented attack by the Palestinian armed group. The Israeli Prime Minister has vowed to destroy Hamas's capabilities, but at what cost? And is there a risk the war could spill over to the region? I'm Fully Batibo, and you're listening to the Inside Story Podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Well, let's bring in our guests now for today's Inside Story. In Ramallah, in the Occupied West Bank, is Mustafa Barghouti, Secretary-General of the Palestinian National Initiative. In Boston is Rami Khoury, author and Distinguished Public Policy Fellow at the American University of Beirut. And in London, Daniel Levy, President of the US Middle East Project. He's also former Israeli negotiator and advisor to the office of former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak. Thank you all for being on Inside Story. Mr. Mustafa Barghouti in Ramallah, if I can start with you. There's a lot of concern right now about what might come next after this surprise attack by Hamas. Uh, Israel has said there'll be no food, no water, no electricity to Gaza because of this attack. How worried are you about what might come next?
2: We are absolutely worried. And uh, uh, what you've just described, no water, no electricity, no supplies, means that Netanyahu is conducting an act of total collective punishment against the Palestinian population of Gaza, against 2.2 million people. But more than that, this fascist government in Israel, and I insist on using the word fascist, is threatening ethnic cleansing of 2.2 million people. How could Netanyahu tell 2.2 million people living in Gaza, a very small area of no more than 140 square miles, that they should leave their homes? Where should they go to? He wants to throw them in the sea. Where should these people go? There is no safe place at this very moment in Gaza. Massacres are taking place. No less than 570 Palestinians have been killed so far, mostly and probably 100 percent civilians, including more than 100 children, and this will continue. Netanyahu promises that he will bombard every house in Gaza. How could the world accept this? I must remind you that 70 percent of the people of Gaza today, the 2.2 million people, are refugees who were ethnically cleansed from their land in 1948 by the Israeli troops and now they want to ethnically cleanse them one more time the basic question here why do we why we are in this mainly because israel refuses to end its occupation mainly because israeli establishment refuses to end its enslavement of the palestinian people in a system of apartheid that is much worse according mm. to all human rights organizations than the apartheid system that prevailed in south africa at one point of time this is a situation that nobody can tolerate and nobody should tolerate. And instead of the United States forcing Israel to stop these massacres, they are encouraging them to right. attack more and more the Palestinian people. We'll
1: come back to the U.S. role in all this in just a moment, but I want to bring in Daniel Levy into the conversation. Uh, Daniel, the Israelis are saying right now that This is a response to Hamas's brazen attack on Israel a few days ago, which saw hundreds of Israelis killed as well. But how is uh, a siege of Gaza, a complete siege of Gaza, with no food or water to Palestinians, which uh, Mr. Barghouti rightly described described as collective punishment, how is that going to ensure the security of Israel?
0: Very simply, it isn't. Very sadly, and... These are heartbreaking pictures. Uh, one's heartbreaks to see what has happened, and, and, and one trembles to see what is happening now in Gaza and what may well transpire over the coming days. But the sad truth is that that position espoused by the Israeli leadership is precisely what got us here. And so it means they have learned nothing. And I know that these are the most difficult days to uh, for those for the thinking to to be different. But the history didn't begin three days ago. And Mustafa Barghouti just pointed out, who who are these 2.2 million inhabitants of Gaza? Why are 70% of them refugees? Until Palestinians have security, Israelis will not have security. That is the equation. That is the intertwined fate of these two people. And if Israel thinks that there is a military solution, then we are condemned to reliving this kind of conversation again and again and again. But I I hope, and this may be a Pollyannish hope, that people will begin to ask themselves, is this the only way? Every day, Palestinians live without the most basic security, predictability of life. Israelis woke up to a trauma Mm. on the weekend, but they have to start getting into their heads that if Palestinians are going to be denied their most basic rights, you know, you have a very credible designation that the crime of apartheid is being committed uh, in, in terms of Israel's rule over the Palestinians. If that's the reality in which Palestinians live, then across geography, across history, People who live under those conditions, if all other avenues are closed to them, take up armed resistance. And okay. you know the most frustrating thing today, Folly, if I may just one, one additional comment, the most frustrating, sure. painful thing. We have been warning policymakers for years that if every nonviolent avenue is closed, if you're not gonna hold Israel accountable, if you're not gonna challenge Israel to change its policies, at the UN, at the ICC, through sanctions, with how you sell your weapons, then you are leaving only one outlet for change.
1: Mm.
0: And war is the worst thing.
1: Rami Khoury, your thoughts about what Daniel and uh, Mustafa Barghouti have said. What is your reaction to this evolving situation? And what do you think led led us to this point today?
3: Well, I totally agree with uh, Mustafa and Daniel, as usual. Um, I will add one more dimension. I'm a bit in Cambridge, near Boston, in the United States, going back and forth to Beirut and the Middle East. But watching the events from here for the last couple of years has clarified uh, certain uh, issues that I think are really important. And the, the, the span of time that the Palestinians have suffered in the way that Mustafa and Daniel have described uh, is uh, 50, 70 years since, since 1948, but it really goes back further uh, than that. And what happened was when the British started in 1915 uh, the colonial process of, of stealing Palestinian land and giving it to the Zionist movement, which was a very small movement, mm-hmm. uh, to make up uh, pain that Jews felt in Europe because of anti-Semitism and pogroms. Um, uh, this started a process in which Zionism Jewish people, Israel, whatever, had primacy in this land. Uh, And it continues today. And here from the West, we see the United States uh, sending a naval task force now, uh, Mm -hmm. prepared to involved in the fighting, if need be, or to help uh, Israel. So the the, the fundamental dilemma, uh, which is that the Israeli Zionist movement has never acknowledged that Palestinians and Israelis have equal rights. That is the fundamental point. We've acknowledged that Palestinians have recognized it in documents and agreements and in their actions, uh, but the Israelis uh, have not. Uh, so the, the 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 exile of the Palestinians now is about ten years longer than the ancient uh, exile of the uh, right. Hebrews. And exile people fight back.
1: Before I come back to Mustafa, I just wanted to pick up on something you said, Rami, about the Americans. And they are deploying, the Americans are deploying in the Mediterranean. It's not just sending arms to Israel, as they usually do, but a deployment, in their words, to contain the situation. But that's going, is it going to contain the situation or is it inflaming it more?
3: Well, from the American perspective, is that for me? Yes, uh, uh, From the American perspective, this is designed to send a signal to Israel that we're with you. If you need assistance, we're there, mostly in terms of supplies and logistics and stuff. But it's also, from the American view, a signal to Iran. The American media and political establishment is totally obsessed with Iran. Uh, Iran and China are now the uh, threats in the world, Um, and they will uh, do anything to... uh, play up that threat. And it just, it's really a, a demonstration uh, of almost mass hysteria. Uh, and we see it played out in the media and uh, politics. And by the way, the media coverage in the United States also reflects something really, really terrible. I i, I went to a fine journalism school in the United States. I'm constantly in touch with top journalists in schools. Right. The way mainstream media is covering this uh, uh, situation Uh, If that was judged against the standards that are taught in American journalism schools, uh, they would get an F. They would be thrown out of school. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Okay. Uh, Let me come back to uh, Mr. Barghouti uh, on the question of the Iran obsession that Rami raised there. Some news reports have suggested that Hamas couldn't have pulled this on its own, couldn't have done this on its own, and that it had outside help. What are your thoughts about this?
2: And why shouldn't Hamas get help from any country? Israel is getting the utmost help from the United States, which is providing Israel with the most sophisticated military equipment and is covering up for Israel for having 200 nuclear heads. Uh, European countries are supporting Israel. United States is supporting Israel. Israel has a... An amazing network of support all over the world. So why shouldn't Hamas get, try to get support from somebody else? I think it's a it's a very unreasonable question. Uh-huh. To, do, to do you expect this?
1: Do you expect this support from from outside countries to Hamas to continue and to become more visible?
2: No, let me explain here. There are two issues. First of all, Palestinians are not relying on anybody. The big question, the big lesson they've learned, we learned, especially after the normalization of Arab countries with Israel, is that we should only depend on ourselves. Mm. We should be self-reliant, we should resist with our own abilities, and that's exactly what's happening today. But on the other hand, the issue of Iran is uh, usually is, 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 is reminds us with the, the Israeli behavior always. They always try to find a country to blame, and claim that Palestinians are followers of that country. First, it was the Soviet Union, then it was Egypt, then it was Syria, then it was Iraq. Now it's Iran. Maybe tomorrow it will be Azerbaijan. I don't know. But the reality is that, and and the other aspect of this is that they say that they will make peace with Saudi Arabia, mm. and with Bahrain, and with the Emirates to liquidate and ignore the This
1: this event and this new war might put that on hold, don't you think? The normalization with the Saudis, absolutely.
2: Yes. Absolutely. Of course. Now, actually, one of the reasons of what's happening today is that Palestinians felt that their cause is being marginalized, and Netanyahu went as far as going to the United Nations and carrying the map of Israel, including annexed West Bank, annexed Gaza, and Mm -hmm. annexed the Golan Heights, as well as East Jerusalem. So the message was clear. And Netanyahu and Smotrich said it. No place for Palestinian state. So what do we live in? A state a situation of enslavement. Let me ask you, why, by which law in the world, a country like Israel, which is occupying us, is declaring war on our occupied territory? It's amazing that this is allowed to happen. Netanyahu, in my opinion, is a criminal. He is ready to do anything to save himself. He is ready to kill Palestinians and Israelis. I know that he's taking now the risk of killing Israeli prisoners who are in Gaza. Right. Why is he doing that? He doesn't care about people. He cares about himself, about saving himself. This is the most opportunistic criminal leader ever in the Middle East. Daniel
1: history. Daniel Levy, let me get your thoughts on that, on the end game here for Netanyahu and this Israeli government. I know you were on the inside, but with a previous government, but you might help us understand what the thinking is right now in Israel. What is the end game, you know, with this new conflict in Gaza? Is it to reoccupy Gaza or is it more than that?
0: With your permission, Folly, if I may just comment on um, a couple of points raised, because I think the other thing that these events remind us is that the Abraham Accords and the normalization, and the talks Mustafa just referenced, This is not making peace in the Middle East, because this is not between warring parties. This is a lie that the Americans have told themselves and told the world. And it's a problem when you get caught up in your own lies, because you lose eye contact. You lose touch with reality. The normalization accords don't address what the problem is. They address something else altogether. Now, I think Netanyahu is probably saying to himself, I do something spectacular. I get through this militarily. But what Israel is faced here, what we have seen is a staggering failure of of deterrence, Mm -hmm. of intelligence, and of the military. And I think it would be a mistake if I may, to suggest that the problem is Netanyahu, his government has been focused on the judicial overhaul. Uh, you know, people will remember there were these weekly protests against what they were pursuing legislatively, that the problem is that they've been focused too much on the settlers in the West Bank and they haven't paid enough attention to Gaza, and this narrative exists in Israel. I, I think that's the easy go-to place, but it ignores what I think is a far more fundamental malaise and decomposition within the system, because Israel felt, and here's where the American peace comes in, Israel felt the Palestinians, we've got them, they're easy to manage, the world will let us do whatever we want to the Palestinians, they don't need to be taken seriously. We, we can, when there are periods of quiet, we can fritter those away by just doing our worst, never trying to take any political initiative, because they don't even recognize the core root problem here of Palestinian dispossession. And so the dismissiveness, the hubris means that Israel says we've got the most amazing surveillance systems and they're not paying attention that actually in asymmetric warfare, you don't need to go toe-to-toe with your adversary. You need to be able to do other things. And America here is the greatest empowerer, enabler of that hubris because America tells Israel, we have your back. Now, when America goes looking for opportunities to demonstrate that its hubris trips it up when it invades other countries it can always retreat back home it's surrounded by mexico canada and water Mm. when israel indulges in this kind of hubris it has an existential problem and i tend to think that the days of occupation deluxe may be over
1: Okay, let's bring uh, Rami in on that. Rami, do you agree Do you agree with what Daniel just uh, described there? He thinks the days of occupation may be coming to an end as a result of this attack and the ensuing war in Gaza.
3: Yes, I think it's becoming clear that the dimensions, uh, the nature, the longevity, and the uh, meaning of what Hamas has just done and continues to do, there are apparently still pockets inside southern Israel where fighting is going on. The consequences of this are enormous, and we won't really see them uh, for some days or weeks. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's definitely clear that uh, the the nature of Palestinian governance and docility has been shattered. The nature of Israeli uh, doctrine of military force and mowing the grass and starving uh, Palestinians, that has to come to an end because it's backfired on them. It doesn't work. The nature, the idea of of Israeli superiority and invincibility uh, has been shattered, by the way. I would suggest to American urban police forces who are still looking to Israeli police training to think twice, uh, haven't seen what's just happened now. Uh, And the nature of American and Western British and other support for Israel and anything it wants to do, uh, for instance, blocking the uh, ICC investigation, Mm that um, change that has to happen is that the invisibility and powerlessness and vulnerability and docility and suffering of the palestinian people since 1915 at the hands of british supported and then later american supported zionist colonialism that has to change into a situation of a negotiated peace where the people of israel and the state of israel and the palestinians and their people and all the surrounding states all live with equal rights. We've made this offer. The Arabs have repeatedly made this offer. The Palestinians have signed on to it. Hamas right. even agreed to go with the Fat when he entered into negotiations. Uh, that's the answer, is to to end the invisibility of the Palestinians. But, and, Rami, uh, let me
1: ask you this, because you talked about this a, a little while ago, the, the question of normalisation. Mm-hmm. How is this going to play out regionally? In the next few weeks, of course, because we've had some Arab countries that have established relations with Israel, the UAE, for example, the biggest country in the region, Saudi Arabia, was reportedly on a path to normalize relations with Israel. That, as we've said, might now be on hold. But where does this leave the other countries in the region vis-a-vis the Palestinian issue and the Palestinian people?
3: When you look at Arab countries, you have to look at leaders and you have to look at people. Mm-hmm. the leaders do what they do to stay in power to make money to have uh, an end with Jared Kushner uh, and this is what they continue to do uh, the people of the region not just the arab people but iran turkey or other people of the world if you look all over the world public opinion support equal rights for palestinians and israelis we're not talking about throwing the israelis out of the middle east we're talking about living with Israelis and Palestinians with totally equal rights, and resolving the Palestine refugee issue, which was the uh, beginning and core uh, of of this problem. So the normalization things that go on uh, are pretty meaningless beyond uh, some uh, stock exchange price increases from companies owned by people in uh, leadership positions in the Middle East and in uh, North America. So I would uh, not worry too much about it, Mm -hmm. um, because the source of what... Hamas has done, and the implications that we will see coming out of popular support for uh, what, what hopefully might translate into a, a new political arrangement in the region that it does recognize the equal rights of Palestinians and Israelis—that that force, which will have immense support among Arab publics, will spill over uh, into the leaderships.
1: Okay, Mr. Musafa Barghouti. Let me come to you now and ask you about a point Rami raised. He said that this e- these events of the past few days will no doubt change the nature of Palestinian governance. Now, interestingly, we've heard very little from the Palestinian Authority in the last few days. Why is that?
2: Because uh, they have had the wrong line, and uh, they are marginalized now, and Israel also made sure to marginalize them as much as possible, and they look irrelevant. And uh, they are now at a crossroad. Either they join their people, and support the right of the Palestinians to resist and uh, engage in action that would lead to unity of Palestinians around a program of struggling for our rights, or they will be marginalized completely. And uh, I think what we need now is Israel now is forming a unity government. What we need now is a unified leadership with all Palestinians together. The Palestinian Authority should put aside not only security coordination with these occupiers, but also they should put aside uh, the internal division with Hamas and accept that we are all in one unified leadership and prepare the ground for democratic free elections and let the people choose the leadership that they want.
0: I was going to make one more comment. Go need... ahead, Daniel. I think it's important to point out, fully that as we're talking, we're seeing the uh, Europeans and others threatening to cancel their aid to the Palestinians. And and I think it's important in that context for people to realize that the West on this question is doing itself such a disservice if it wants to be taken seriously as a normative actor that in other spaces talks about international law, talks about the rule of law, and on this question, it's not that the rest of the world supports the specific action this weekend. I think when you see the images, you recoil from that, just as you shudder at what is happening to the civilians in Gaza. But if you're going to uphold international law, if you're going to claim that mantle, you do it consistently. And that means you cannot indulge Israel's violations every day of international law. You cannot indulge the war crimes that Netanyahu has just promised to commit in Gaza. You can't have it both ways. And you cannot pretend that you are indifferent or be indifferent to what has happened to the Palestinians for day after day, year after year, decade
1: after decade. Thank you so much. Thank you to all three of you for a great conversation. Mustafa Barghouti, uh, Daniel Levy, Rami Khoury, Thank you all very much once again for joining us for this discussion on Inside Story today. This episode was produced by Mohamed El Aishi, Sarah Gill, and Fumi Nguyen. Studio sound was by Yara Atala. The program was edited by Romel Asuncion, Zainab Badar, and Joe DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Tuesday for our next episode. Coming up on The Take, the shockwaves of Hamas's audacious attack on Israel. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.